welcome to the One Interview by Night podcast, where we talk to the people who make the One World by Night LARP network happen. Tonight, I have Brad with me, and uh, could you introduce yourself? Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Brad. I'm your friendly neighborhood archivist. I've been an HST here in the org for an incredibly long time. I'm former Asimite coordinator, subcord for a ton of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's been a long and busy time uh, in this wonderful hobby we all share. Yeah. So first things off, you are the archivist. Can you tell us what the archivist does? So the primary duty of the archivist that everyone's aware of is logging all of our RNU stuff. Basically, any time that you get approved for something that is either a coordinator approval vote or uh, even just the notification, it's got to come to the archivist and be put into Vineyard so that at any point in time, you, your STs, um, coordinator offices can all look up who's got what in relation to their particular office. You know, like the ST can look up every character in their game to see what's been registered. The coordinator can look up everything that is under their particular coordinator office to see who has what. The archivist is the only one that can see basically the whole picture. We also do, uh, we keep track of the archivist reports. Uh, every six months, every chronicle is required by the bylaws to submit a report answering just a handful of questions telling us what's gone on in their game. Just to kind of make sure that everyone is, is, is active, playing, informing the org of anything that it needs to be more aware of, um, and also kind of setting a record for their game so that future STs can look back and go, hey, what happened here six years ago, 10 years ago? When did this person stop being prince? When did this person step up as archbishop? Whatever the case may be, it creates a, ser a searchable and usable record of your game. Some of the lesser known things that we do is we also keep track of disciplinary actions. Uh, STs, when they file disciplinary actions, are supposed to put them put those in themselves, like if a chronicle bans someone, the ST has to enter that, but then it's the archivist's job to kind of go back and make sure that it got entered correctly and it's logged under the right person. People tend to put things under what they know a player by, which means names get misspelled. Sometimes they use a nickname rather than the person's actual name. The first time I went through all of the entire vineyard player by player, there were like six separate disciplinary actions for someone whose name was just S. <laughs> I have no idea who that's supposed to be. <laughs> so uh, the archivist is in charge of making sure that those all got set appropriately to where they were supposed to go. We also take care of custom content logging, which is a really huge job anymore. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there. lot. There really is. So, I mean, those are, it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but Trust me, any, anything that goes through any of the 25 genre coordinator offices comes to the archivist. That's a lot of email. It is, because we have a lot of players and there's a lot of RNU, because I, you know, I can only speak to what's on my character. I know my character's got a few things. Yeah, and, and, and the, the one thing that I do like doing that's, that's more interesting to me is the archivist is required by the bylaws once a year to update council on kind of the state of RNU throughout the org. It's never really defined what that means. And having been on council for almost two decades, I don't think any archivist has ever actually done it before. Or at least I don't recall seeing it. So last year I compiled a report because I've pulled a ton of statistics 
out of it to kind of give a very high level overview. And it's it's super interesting to be able to see that. And it's, and it's, and it's one of the neatest parts of the job is being able to take all of this stuff we log and compile it and pull statistics from it and get kind of this mathematical giant numbers view of what our org actually looks like. It's, it's I don't, I'm a giant nerd for things like that. So uh, super oh. interesting to me. And, and, and I look forward to being able to update council again this year and be like, hey, here's how some things changed. Yeah, because I can, I can imagine that's very useful, especially for genre coordinators to sort of have a good overview of like, well, what's in their genre going on? Most of the time they can look at it themselves. And, and, and one of the things that, you know, uh, that, that I'll say about the archivist makes it different from the other courts is we're the only ones with a really truly global perspective. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pick on Chase for a moment because he deserves it. <laughs> so like the Asamite courts office, you know, they know what's going on with clan Asamite all across the org, but they really only care about what's going on with clan Asamite. They're not, you know, they might be like somewhat concerned with what clan Tremere is doing over here, maybe with what the demon court is doing, but overall they don't really care all that much. And so the archivist is the only one that actually like can see everything that's going on to see what's getting approved over here, to see how prevalent these things over are, to see the statistics from by game, by region, even by player, and to be able to look at all that and be like, I have this true picture of the org as a whole that um, honestly, sometimes I wish the genre chords were a little more concerned with because there are problems that exist in the system that you don't see if you're not looking at the whole picture. Without getting into too much specifics, I know the archivist does have a lot of confidentiality to, to keep. What sort of problems? Like, and in, in the category of problem <laughs> nothing in the bylaws about being confidential that's just because we've had archivists that so far have made an effort to be <laughs> so uh, it's it's long been a thing i mean even god even when i started back in the or it's long been this idea that there's some old boys club like there's people that just get whatever they want and i i can say to an extent that is true like I've, I've got everything broken down literally by player as to how much RNU each individual player throughout everyone who has entered into Vineyard has. And the difference is really huge. Like, I, 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 um, you know what, let me actually pull up the statistics here. But like the average, if you were to just average it out across all players, and this is, this is one of the things that I reported to council last year. So it's not like it's hidden information. But uh, the average, oh, I don't have it all uh, by average per player right now, but it's something like two point uh, percentage. You know, each, each individual player, if you were to take the total amount of RNU out there divided by the total amount of players, it's like each player should have two RNUs total across all their characters. We've got people that have over 100. And then we've got a ton of people that have just one. Just where oh. we get this weird average. Yeah, but, and then there's some people of zero. Um, yeah, there are some people. That my are in the, in my just... main PC has several, mostly due to her faction, but my Zumitsi has zero. Yep, some characters in there because the STs just put them into Vineyard or because they're in the character connections database, so they'll show up in Vineyard without having any actual RNU register to them. And it's it's one of the things that I've tried to poke the coordinators on before, like, hey guys, can we? take a look at this so that we can spread things around a little bit. Well, you know, these, these, these players that don't have a whole lot, maybe 
let's 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 figure out are are do they not have opportunities for it enough or are they afraid of asking or are 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 they in games that are just kind of naturally more conservative these things whatever the case may be i i feel it is on the coordinators to try and look into that right. and and to make sure that we're spreading things around rather than just throwing more stuff up on the mountains and 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 creating this massive disparity between who's got all the cool stuff and who's just kind of playing and not getting anything out of it and, and i think not the, getting the, any tangible rewards and i think the not asking is kind of a thing because I that's really something don't. i have that's something i have trouble with with the exception of when my character started because i knew when i started the character that she was gonna have to notify that she had tempores but other than that i've asked for very little it's mostly been other people saying you need this and let's go to the court mm-hmm and, um, I, and I think that's some people are just it. not great at asking and I'm one of those people and I'm trying to get better at it. <laughs> it's true. And, and I want to make it clear, like, even as I'm talking about these, these, these players that have so much, like, I know most of them. I don't think there's anything malicious going on here. I don't think we've got anyone going, ha, 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 figured out how to game the system. I think it's just they're people who are comfortable with asking. And so they naturally get told yes, just because they ask more. I mean, you might ask for five things, you get shot down for one or two or three, but you've, you've still asked and then you've gotten something out of it. So I think we're, I, I think we as an org need to do a better job overall from coordinators to STs of spreading things around and maybe occasionally saying no to the people who already have a lot, even if they're meeting the normal requirements because you've already got a lot, you don't need this. I'm gonna give this to someone who doesn't have a lot. You know, I, I, I think we need as an org need to get better at that to give more players, more incentive, more buy-in in what's going on. That's just my feeling, though. So. No, I, I'm totally on, on board with you with that. Um, let's see. Okay. Are there any upcoming plans as coordinator that you can talk about? Oh, my God. There's a prop up to give me subcords. I know there is. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's been something that basically is the person who's been doing this job solo for almost a year now. And, and and I want to make it clear, like I'm not I'm not you know there there are two other archivists. They are great people. I've known Sam for a long time. I just actually met Josh, I think, at Blood and Ice, and he seems like a super passionate, interesting dude. And it's it's just life happens, stuff happens, communication. You know, this, the point is, is I've been doing this job for a long time, and to me, the idea is that why do we treat the archivist as different than every other coordinator position? You know, every every genre cord. Um, even the head cord can can appoint subcords. The web cord can appoint subcords. You know, I, I have but, I have a whole team. I think yeah, I'm like got nine, I've team. got like nine people. I think exactly. The archivist used to for the longest time was just one person. That was all it was. We had one archivist, and then they got critically behind. So we upped it to two, and even two people could not catch up with how far behind they were and how fast the org kept moving. So we upped it to four. These were emergency measures because the archivist didn't have the time to go through and put the team together. So it was just the head cord could just, hey, you're it, you're an archivist, go, you're an archivist, go, moving on. And then we never as an org went back really and reevaluated that to go, hey, we, we, we built this position up to four equal archivists and, and in an emergency. We didn't bother to like go back and go, okay, now that the emergency is over, now that the crisis has passed, is, is this functional? And, and 
it can be. You know, when I when I was first brought on, there were four archivists, and but at times we'd like stumble over each other. We'd get into the email and be responding to stuff the other person already taken care of, going through and double logging things because it wasn't quite clear it had already been done. So then we'd have to go back through and delete it and change stuff around and. It, it, it created this hassle because there's no clear hierarchy. And also when there's no clear hierarchy, it's impossible for one archivist to hold the others accountable. You basically just got to kick everything up to the head court and go, eh, waiting for an answer. You know, whereas again, with a cord subcord model, like every other office out there, subcord screws up and well, you're fired, done. Handle that problem, it's over. You know, and if the archivist themselves, if, if, if the coordinator is the problem, well, the head court can still step in and take care of that. They've got a team of subcords who can report them. You know, it, 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 the, the one, I, I brought this up to the head coordinator during election. And I brought it up mostly because at the time, I can see when a coordinator application is submitted. I'm like, well, I'm the only one who submitted it. So, you know, just, you're not going to fire me. I'm the guy doing the job. Uh, <laughs> so here's what I want to do. I want to restructure the office like this because... I can see that there, you know, I don't need a full other coordinator to do it with me. I need a person I can go here, do this aspect. I want, you know, I specifically want someone whose sole job is archivist reports. Take that off my plate. You don't need to do anything else, just that. So that can be something that gets focused on, but is a much smaller aspect than the whole job. And, and the very reasonable response that I got back from Kevin was, well, given the confidential nature of what the archivist deals with, it, it, it feels like something that shouldn't necessarily be trusted with a subcourt. The thing is, is subcourts for every other court office have the ability to look at your RNU. If I work for the Sabat office as a subcourt, I can see all the Sabat RNU. And if I work for four different coordinator offices, I can already see a ton of people's RNU. So it, it's, it's, it's that thing that doesn't make a lot of sense in the long run. It was, it was, it, it's a good thought. I can understand it. But the web cord gets subcords, and he has more access to the website than I do. Right, and <laughs> so that's my have... argument of give me subcords. Yeah, and I mean we have a process for dealing with if a subcord, you know, steps out of line, or if a cord Absolutely. steps out of line. One hundred percent. Other things that I would really love to do: cleaning up vineyard. Oh my god! Like when I first stepped up, and there were three other active archivists, I made it my job to just go through, like I said, player by player, all like 3,000 players that are registered in Vineyard and merge duplicate entries because there were plenty of people. Like there was one guy who actually plays in a game logo with me. His name it was Nick Weber. And he was in there four times because four different ST spelled his name wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> uh <laughs> no it was just like, so I had to go in there and like merge all the characters into one profile, check the spelling. And, and sometimes, you know, and because they'd done it under different spellings of the name, there were multiple characters. He had the same character under different names. And so it's having to go through and transfer all this stuff over and then delete all the duplicate entries to short it down. And that was just with one player. Like there were, there were some people who were in there uh, uh, the, the 10 times. Uh, the, the hilarious ways that people have tried to spell uh, Nick Herndlum's last name, uh, the NAS coordinator's husband, like no one can spell their last name apparently. <laughs> um, but there are plenty of people who were in there under nicknames and I'm just like well I don't even know who you are like there's I this is clearly a local name that people call you I you know so I don't know what to merge this with until I later will find a character by the same name and then be like oh let me search the email for that okay that's the player's name then I can shuffle stuff around but I still need to go back through and do it again because there are plenty of them that I know I missed or that I wasn't sure who this was so that I could put them together 
when I have time. There's plenty of old RNU entries from before bylaw wordings got changed that now need to be merged. There's plenty that previous archivists, you know, because an ability was regulated, they make an entry for each level of the ability, but you only do that if it actually specifies that each level of the ability requires a separate approval, which most don't. So I've got to go through and merge all of those and collapse all the entries and go through all the characters that have them and change the entries over. There's plenty of stuff. There's duplicates things. Sometimes when people enter custom content, it for no reason apparently just duplicates it, makes two or three identical entries. <sighs> it happens. So there's plenty of vineyard cleanup that is on my list of things to do when I have time. I just, I don't have time right now. But also because archivist reports are such a contentious issue, I don't think they should be. It's, you know, every six months you spend 20 minutes answering like eight questions. Shouldn't take you all that long. Shouldn't be as much of a hullabaloo as it is. But because of that, I think there needs to be a lot more dedication to making sure that people understand archivist reports and following up with them. I want to raise the standard of them. And I talked about this a year ago when, when people wanted to rewrite the bylaws and archivist reports. I'm like, hold on, no, 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 no. We're going to dedicate more time to this. And then it came down to I was the only archivist and couldn't dedicate more time to it. Um, but again, once I can have some subcords, I want to dedicate more time to that, make sure people make sure people understand it. We're going to raise the standard, which means more archivist reports are going to get rejected until people will put complete sentences in them. <laughs> like I, our standards are not that high, but you know, when I'm asking a game, what kind of major plots have you run? All you put in there is two words, Sabat plot. I'm like, well, that doesn't tell me anything. What are you doing? What's what, what, what kind of Sabat plot? If an ST, if, if you stop being an ST tomorrow, and another ST comes in to take over your game, how are they gonna know what it is that you were doing? And, and I know everyone thinks that they're gonna be an ST forever, or when they step out, they're going to pass on copious notes, but that's not generally how it works. In the last year alone, I have dealt with nearly a dozen games who have had a sudden and unexpected transition in ST stats. Um, three of them, their HST straight up died in the last year, which is horribly tragic. And people are taking over the game going, I want to carry on their legacy, but I don't know what it was. There's no record of it. Right, um, like there's they, plenty they of... may have had something and it, because they passed away, it just, there's no way to right. get it to it's the new Files staff. on a computer no one's got now. Right. Um, there's plenty of ST staffs that have just rage quit out of nowhere. And again, you've got people stepping in, filling these shoes, coming to the archivist going, hey, what was my game up to? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. They put like half of a sentence in their archivist reports. I can't tell you what they're doing. My, my, my main point on all these is you're not writing your archivist reports for you. You're writing them for whatever ST comes after you. Now, that can be kind of a lie because I used to refer back to my old archivist reports going, hey, you know what? I, I, I don't remember quite when this person stopped being archbishop of my game. Let me go look that up because that's something I have to report on. Um, so, you know, it, it, they're very helpful, especially if you've been running a game for a long time, keeping sort of an order of operations of when things occurred, but they're super helpful for incoming STs in understanding what was going on up until now. And I really wish people would take them a little more seriously and devote just a little more time to them. It's something you do just twice a year. Heck, have a player do it. 
you know what the questions are. They're in the bylaws. They're easy to understand. Fire them off to a player and be like, hey, you'll max out on XP for a month if you fill this out for me. And then I'm just going to copy paste it into the form. Done. <laughs> so that's, that's just another thing that I would like to devote more time and attention to upcoming, you know, for the rest of this term. Was there anything else you wanted to add about being an archivist before we move on? <laughs> uh, oh, do you have more questions? No, I'm kind of leaving us open to what oh, you no, want to talk fair. about. That's that, that, that's fair. Um, no, it's, the biggest challenge overall to being an archivist is, and uh, I know I kind of sent a little angry email to council about this a while back um, regarding some discussions they were having with another administrative court office is that it's simply this the org does not stop like there's never a moment where you know the games take a break uh you know as, as i said earlier the archivist gets everything that passes through 25 different genre chords from 173 different member chronicles all come to us and it just there's a never-ending deluge of email you know the the the, the best example I have of this uh, that I've said before is in December, uh, I, I as a CM propped that we suspend the bump bump pass for the couple of weeks around the, or for the weeks around the holidays and then for the couple of weeks around elections. And, and one CM uh, made the comment that I was doing this mostly for myself, not mostly, but in part because of, of, of myself because I just wanted a break and he's like you know you can just take a vacation for a couple of weeks if you want it's not like anyone's waiting on you to approve everything I'm like all right you know what I'm gonna try that out and I just took off like a couple of days before Christmas to a couple of days after New Year's um, it took me three months to get caught back up after that just with the sheer amount of emails that came in over the holiday period alone January is its own random busy season that adds to that, but it took me three months to be able to finally clear out my inbox. And I posted on Facebook. I was so excited. I'm like, I don't even remember the last time I saw zero emails left in your email box. That lasted exactly five minutes. Yeah, I, Five I, minutes after I made that post, boom, a new email. I'm like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. I think sometimes how, people don't realize the sheer size of the org. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, we, we talk about the org has, has shrunk a little bit over the years, but it's mm -hmm. still huge. It is still huge. And even the other genre chords, like they have massive teams to handle all this. And they are doing things like running scenes, replying to stuff um, more so than the archivist is. But I guarantee you, I just get by sheer volume way more email than any of them. Um, and, and, and there, you know, I just wish at times that like, there was a vacation period in the org. Like, hey, you know what? For these two weeks a year, like no one's allowed to send email. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's it 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 keeps me busy. Um, and 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 I say I like it's a complaint, and and sometimes it is because I'm just like, ah, come on, I don't want to have you know. I I I stepped away for a few days. There's now 50 more emails in my inbox. <sighs> um, but at the same rate, it's it it's it's kind of this glorious example that even with everything that's happened, even with half of the org currently on hiatus, we're still this wonderfully busy, thriving community. There is still so much going on all over the org. It's, it's, it's very interesting to see. And it's interesting to see, you know, what's happening where, 
with the, the the kind of approvals and stuff that come through gives me a picture of who's running what kind of plot, who's running what kind of activity, how involved players are, how enthusiastic players are about what's going on. You know, it's it's more so than just the numbers. It is this fantastic view overall of all of the fun people are having with this hobby. Right. And you gave me a great transition into, well, what do you play? Oh, good Lord. I'm not as active in Vampire anymore as I used to be. I still have a couple of big PCs that are floating around. I've got a Hierophant on the Sabbat side, and I have Richard St. John, the Giovanni Prefect. I should probably talk to PJ about shelving him or something. I barely get to play anymore. Actually, the game that he's based out of, I don't think has had a session since well before COVID. (laughs) But actively anymore, I have a kinfolk character called Zach Matthews. Um, I have a silver fang uh, named Leon Kapowski, and I have the prettiest canane, Jason Willows. That's the nickname that PCs gave me when I only had three appearance traits on him. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going (laughs) to lean into this completely like i am as the only canane at the time i am by default both the prettiest and the ugliest but fuck it we're gonna have fun with this <laughs> so as those are two genres i do not play because i only really play vampire uh tell us a little bit about those characters because oh boy um so zach was my first attempt after playing vampire for so many years, he was my first attempt to make a character whose entire core concept boiled down to just be kind. No matter what else, you know, and, I, and, and, and I admittedly kind of styled the character a little bit off of Doctor Who, which then made me more annoyed than Peter Capaldi's Doctor Who stole that line <laughs> from me. Like, no matter what, just be kind. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> it was my concept first. <laughs> that's a difficult concept to run in vampire (laughs) yeah yeah and and it's it's a difficult concept to run in guru sometimes too but yeah is is i wanted to play characters that were i wanted to specifically get away from vampire because at times you know even just constantly playing character you know all my vampire characters are gigantic dick holes i'm not gonna mince words there they are they are self-serving asshats and, and after playing that for so many years, I wanted to do something different, something a more cooperative, something that was a character I would want to play with, you know, like if I was playing something else, like I'd want to play with this person because they're just nice to be around. They're not constantly trying to look for an advantage or tear me down somewhere. And so that's what Zach originally was. And he's been through a lot of very horrible traumas since then. Um, and so now he's just kind of this broken, depressing shell of a character to play. Jason was another spin on that, my canane. Um, he was it's very much the idea of, I'm taking someone who is a very good person at heart, but he is also the single most deceptive, deceitful character that I play because he hides everything he's feeling. I, I've, I've told people before, like if, if I'm describing him reacting to something, even just like smiling and laughing, 50% of the time, that's not what's going through his head. That's just what he's doing because, hey, I'm in this situation. I'm trying to blend in and, and make sure that none of these people around me who have superpowers can kill me or will want to kill me. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of the twist on that of be a good person, but you have to lie about it all of the time because you're surrounded by folks who are not good people. 
And then Leon was a character I made way back in like 2006, more as a joke. Like I didn't know anything about Gru and I was like, I'm just going to make this Silver Fang. He is a hairless pimp, which I'm surprised the ST let me get away with the concept. I was like, this thing's going to die. But you know what? I'm just making it to learn the genre so I can play it for a few games while I figure out how all this stuff works. And then I'll make my real character, right? Famous so, last yeah, word. he's still around, <laughs> still a Kliath. And over the time, I've developed like why he is the way he is and explanations for it that are more than just this is a joke character. Like he's actually crazy serious when I boil down to the concept now, but he comes across as just this, yeah, I'm here to have fun and amuse myself because, hey, if everyone's laughing at me, I'm a menace. They're not hitting me, right? Like, yes, laugh at me. I'll be the court jester. <laughs> Don't touch me. So, you know, they're, they're, they're more characters designed for me to just have fun rather because I got tired of the constant backstabbing of Vampire. Which, which is understandable. It's a kind of why I have trouble with Camarilla sometimes playing because that tends to be more backstabby than Sabat, which is funny because, you know, everyone's like, oh, the Sabat are the, the bad guys. They're the, you're the ones who embrace being monsters. Yeah, but Baldury does a lot to make people cooperative. That's why we have the Code of Milan. That too. Uh, yeah, no, Sabat, it was, I remember way back in the day when it was hard to get people interested in Sabat because all anyone knew about them is they're the antagonist to Camarillo. Why would I want to play the bad guy? And then once you get people like holding and making a character, they're like, oh no, this is actually really fun. In fact, I prefer it. Um, because yeah, you cut out a lot of that backstabbing just for backstabbing's sake. Like there's plenty of in the Camarillo where it's like, yeah, I'm going to fuck you over because that's just what we do. We're bored. <laughs> you know, um, and Sabat, there's, there's, there's more of an overall point, in my opinion. I, you know, I've been, again, I ran a Sabat game for a billion years, so I'm a little biased. Yeah, and it just comes down to, like, very different play styles in both genres. Very much, very much. And then you get Anarch, which has an entirely different play style of its own. That's kind of the great thing about having different sex is that uh, you, you can kind of pick your play style. I always described Anarchs as, as, as Sabat members with just a very specific form of amnesia where they forgot what sex <laughs> they're in. <laughs> you aren't wrong. <laughs> they're baby loyalists. Yeah, more or less. Oh, yeah, I think that's, let's see if I had anything else to ask. I think that was everything. All right. Yeah. So thank you so much for doing this. Um, thank you. Going into this, I didn't really know a whole lot about what the archivist did, except for, you know, you handle the RNU and you do the archivist reports, but it really, it was nice to get into sort of the nitty gritty of why you do what you do. We're here to keep a record of the org. It used to be way back when the position was first created, it was actually called the RNU coordinator. And the archivist was what the historian is now. Um, and the archivist, the RNU coordinator's only job was to log RNU, of which at the time there was very little because we hadn't really formulated most of the bylaws. Like I think the entire RNU section was like two and a half pages long. Now it's dwarfs every other section of the bylaws. So yeah, we've shifted a lot toward expanding the archivist and making it, it, it the historian position rolled out of it eventually into its own thing because that was something that was needed more attention. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's in a way the historian creates more of like the, the written record 
whereas the archivist has the data record of everything that's going on in the org. And it's, like I said, it's fascinating to be able to see that, to be able to see how much fun and how much interesting stuff is going on across the org when people fill out their archivist reports properly. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a fascinating job that makes all of the ridiculous number of emails worth it just to get that overall picture of how cool the org is at any given moment. Yeah, and um, I mean, that's, that's the whole, one of the big reasons we're doing this podcast is that a lot of people don't necessarily know, especially what the admin coordinators do. Yeah. So this is really letting people know what you guys are doing and how important it is to the org. And you mentioned the historian we're working on lining her up. Fantastic. She hopefully will be the next person we interview. And uh, most likely we'll actually release the episodes yours and then hers because they okay. will follow up on each other i think really well yeah all right fantastic so, yeah thank you so much for talking to oh, us thank you this was Great. interesting and, have a good uh, evening you too bye one interview by night is hosted by cheryl wesley contact and interview prep by ariel editing and music by christian keller if you are interested in playing in Wormwell by Night, please visit our website at owbn.net. You can contact the marketing team at owbn-marketing at googlegroups.com. One Interview by Night is presented by One World by Night, produced under the Dark Pack Agreement Paradox Interactive. Portions of the presented material are the copyrights and trademarks of Paradox Interactive AB and are used with permission. All rights reserved. For more information, please visit worldofdarkness.com. This material is not official World of Darkness material and is intended solely for use by One World by Night.